0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Rewatch Play. I'm James. I'm Corinne. And I'm Justin. On this episode, we're going to be talking about Firestarter by Stephen King. Quick note, Cleo will not be joining
1: us for this episode. There was an unfortunate incident at an Escape the Room event involving a saxophone and a piece of twine.
0: Fans of the series will notice we've been doing kind of a lot of Stephen King lately. Uh, Not in our last series,
2: but one before that we had The Shining. Yeah, and I mean... I don't know. I'm I'm personally kind of happy about this because, uh, admittedly, we should be differentiating as much as we can. But fuck if I don't really, really like Stephen King's work kind of in general. I've always been a big fan. Um, that's just...
1: I have now read two whole Stephen King books, which yeah. <laughs> uh, one of my very good friends uh, from, like sort of my my childhood will be happy about because she's always been a fan and i've literally never taken any of her book suggestions
2: (laughs) (laughs) has she ever suggested either of these to you no because i would love yeah yeah michelle
1: was always like much stronger like in into the horror realm so yeah
0: i was gonna say yeah is this like that really awkward thing where like one friend recommends a thing to you and you don't read it and then another friend recommends it to you and you do read it and that first friend feels really bad and then
1: not quite that complicated. That's good. That's good.
2: <laughs> Instead, Corinne took the took the recommendation and then just went an entirely different <laughs> direction with the heart of the recommendation. Yeah. Sure.
0: But well, and then so this this whole topic is ends up being kind of cuz this is basically, I mean, it we'll we'll call it what it is. This is in a lot of ways kind of Stephen King the topic. Yeah, it it absolutely.
1: Yeah. It, yeah, I'll agree with that.
0: Yeah, in in the same way that the last topic was basically Blade Runner, the topic mm-hmm. this is this is one of those where I mean I don't know I, we we talk about this very occasionally on on the podcast, but are there are there a lot of examples that anyone knows of of this kind of story prior to prior to King's works? Is he is he kind of the one who popularized the little girl with superpowers genre gathered I mean, by the government? <laughs> <laughs> I should have. I should have looked for more words that didn't
2: start with a G. I used superpowers instead of gifts. uh, Missed
0: opportunity. Come on,
2: James. You know, children with superpowers kidnapped by shady agencies. Yeah, let's go with that. Just as purposely Uh, (laughs) off-brand. Um, you know, it's it's that weird off-brand animation company's Ice Queen to Disney's Frozen. Right. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it. I, I mean I will Firestarter came out in like eighty four, eighty eight. I think no, Shining was eighty four. The movie, 84. The movie came out in eighty four. I think the book oh, was. Oh it like did 80. so the book was early eighty yeah. early eighties then. Okay. Yeah. Um so yeah, oh yeah, 'cause Shining I think was the seventies. Yeah. But uh
0: and then I mean I don't know where Carrie falls. I mean Carrie's there's no government aspect to Carrie if I remember right, but that's kind of a similar Yeah. And I mean and Carrie was, was also
2: King? No. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's right. But this is even more just if kind of balancing even just King's legacy. Right. I mean, yeah, because The Shining, I... you've got a kid with superpowers. That's spoilers for The Shining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, what
1: do you I mean not spoilers? Really... <laughs> I guess... All of our listeners are dedicated and have listened to every single one of our
2: episodes. That's That's back in the book of The Shining also. I guess yeah. that's okay. You know, the, the back of the book description of The Shining is a kid with psychic powers. Yeah. That. So like, I think. Yeah. But... That's an organ. I, I will, yeah, I think like Stephen King is definitely not the one who who had the idea, I'm sure, mm-hmm. but he definitely probably created the most recognizable and compelling stories that sort of turned this into a genre unto itself. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. And it can't really be that old because it, I
0: mean, I'm sure that we'll talk about this more in in the topic episode, but just in general, it, King gets a lot into, you know, the it, it his big inspiration for this, he kind of mentioned it in, in the afterward, but even just like in the events of the book, like this seems very rooted in like the, the government's
2: like LSD experiments of. Which were like yeah, a Vietnam era, like 60s, yeah. 70s. So like it really was spun out of practically modern events when the book was written. Right. So my guess is that a lot of kind of the real world inspiration for, for this genre as a whole probably
0: would have come around that time. So we're probably not going to see a lot of, a lot of this kind of stuff prior to that. Yeah. I mean, you don't have that same kind of, I feel like now we go back and you could set those kind of, like, shady government agency stories in something like something like the 50s. But I feel like you very rarely see before that. And 50s I usually think of as people writing in the 60s, 70s and just setting their stuff kind mm-hmm. of in their own childhoods. Um,
1: well, it might also go along with the fact that, you know, people... Society, I guess, goes through different periods of more and less trust in their government. Sure. And...
2: Yeah, the Vietnam era was definitely a less trust yeah. Yeah. Era. Well, in 50s, 50s would have been
0: relatively 50s were relatively high trust. We were still kind of high off World War 2 at that point. Yeah. Um but you know, and maybe that's even just kind of the thing, this the the face of modern espionage or kind of shady government activity, It's usually something that I feel like you think more of as as happening kind of post World War 2, kind of when it you was know, certainly getting more and more into the Cold War. Yeah. Um yeah, so, I mean, maybe even just from that perspective, we're we're unlikely to find a lot of stuff before that, even if we don't know about it. Might find bits and pieces mm. and dregs and things that inspired these things, but this—I think this really stands a chance of being one of the very early instances of this kind of story.
2: Yeah. I mean, especially involving all of these specific angles, right? Yeah. You know, psionic stuff, children, and, like, shady government nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Another originator of a genre. Yeah. And I mean, I, I we, we've we talked around it in talking about the history of the book, but I mean, I will say, on top of being an originator of a genre that I'm genuinely interested in just as a genre, I really enjoyed Firestarter. Part yeah. of that comes out of me, again, being a big fan of King's Prose kind of in general. I, I, I'll I, use a phrase that...
0: Um, I, 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 my old roommate and I throw around a lot, but in reference to, I think it was Jay-Z describing uh, Soulja Boy's music, it's like, I, I had fun to this record. Like, it was, <laughs> it's wasn't world-changing. It was a page-turner, which, you know, is yeah. kind of a, I yeah. feel like it's neither necessarily like a positive nor a negative. It's, but it, no, it was good. I had fun. Yeah, it's, fun it's the
2: novel equivalent of, you know, a perfect popcorn blockbuster.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: But like one of the, like a solid one. Collected. Yeah, like one that I come out of I me mean, like I thoroughly enjoyed everything about that. Yeah. Right? It's not it's it's only very minimally trying to like deliver any kind of message. Yeah. Right. The the main message being don't inherently trust your government. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and the rest of it is just kind of like cool, mildly sci fi ish, you know. Yeah. Fun stuff.
0: I, I feel like it does. It does have a little bit. And this isn't its fault. And we've talked about this many times before. But it does end up with that kind of unfortunate thing where if it is relatively early in the, in kind of a, a genre, probably something that inspired a lot of other stuff, when you go back to it, you do end up with a certain amount of like, all right, well, I feel like I've seen a lot of this before. And you have yeah. to remind yourself, it's like, well, you know, I've seen a lot of this before because King would go on to do, you know, like more things with this idea and other people were kind of pulling from this idea and this similar kind of zeitgeist. And at the end of the day, like it's. Like, yes, it feels very familiar, but it probably didn't at the time. So it's kind of hard to hold that against it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say certainly watching Stranger Things, which we'll get into more later, there were a lot of moments in that where it's just like, yep, I remember this scene <laughs> from Firestarter. <laughs> but
1: yeah, no, I had fun. I, uh, yeah, I, I liked the book a lot. Um, I think I liked it more than The Shining. Definitely less stressful than The Shining. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was just. More fun, I guess.
2: Because I think that's a big part of it. Like, when we talked about this in the Shining episode, the Shining was not just about, like, it was not just a page turner. The Shining was trying to dig into some metaphors and and have you take something away from that. Mm -hmm. And they ultimately failed because none not none of them could be focused on well enough
0: yeah there was some unfortunate friction there that kind of stopped everything from living up to what it felt like its full potential could have been
2: right yeah and so Firestarter is not trying to do any of the stuff that the shining was doing and i think it's a lot better for it it's certainly more fun to read yeah i would i would also say very selfishly as
0: someone who, who doesn't generally like spooky stuff um this there, being there's much there's more a lack just, of spooky stuff yeah this is spooky. it's not a spooky book yeah uh there's was a very creepy scene
2: early on like during the lot 6 experiments.
0: That one. Yeah. That and one I also
2: think it's super It's like yeah, it's so well done. I love that entire chapter, like a whole lot. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh also were there was there spooky hand stuff going on in that section? Fuck yeah, there was. There was I feel sp- like there was a specific I feel like I remember thing. I remember like re- like listening to that cuz I listened to the audiobook and thinking, "Oh, Spooky hands, yeah. <laughs> which I, also... I am now on the lookout because of James. Yeah, I,
0: I also listened to the audiobook um, part because uh, as and foreshadowing for listeners, I did the summary for this episode, or I am going to do the summary for this episode. So out, listen out for that. But uh, yes, yeah, so, like I was listening as I was like writing as I went. I've got in my summary just like Spooky in caps, so in I caps. remember to like take it out from when I record the summary. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, so. I just dis- very distinctly remember just like sitting in bed, listening to the book at, you know, like midnight one in the morning and being kind of creeped out. And then it gets to a spooky hand. i was like, ah, see? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. But, but yeah. I mean, I would say it's, it, it's hard to call that an objective positive to, to the story, right? That it's not as creepy as the, as the shining or just in general, and it's not really a, a scary book. It's much more, it's much more sci-fi than horror, you know, even, even some of the tense scenes later, you don't generally feel like something scary is going to happen.
2: Um, I think, and I think this is one of the things that to me is a credit to, to King as, as an author of like compelling page Turner type books, Mm -hmm. which is he can cross over between genres in a way that a lot of authors do not. Mm -hmm. He, he was, you know, he built his career on, on writing horror stuff early on. Um, and then broke off of that and did some other stuff and would go back to horror. And, and and he jumped around a lot more. Like, I remember growing up and being like, you know, my mom being like, you should read Stephen King. This is up your alley. Here's this book. Try that. Mm. And, like, knowing Stephen King is this guy who was, like, a, a horror novelist. Because, you know, by the late 90s, his most, like, culturally known books, right? You, and and movies, like, things like Christine and Cujo, Pet Cemetery, The Shining, Yeah, you know. It was yeah. king yep, and so like the you know that's what he built his reputation on his largest and most well known books were horror, I think also just large a lot of the ones that got made into movies and yeah. I don't know if
0: that has if that strictly has a lot to do with uh that people were more likely to adapt the scary ones or if just the the scary ones were the ones that he his a lot of his reputation was built around, so those the yeah. ones getting adapted i harder for me to say, but but certainly those were the ones that I knew. Yeah. Right. It it was, it wasn't until I was older that I knew he did stuff that wasn't horror because I was mainly familiar with the films.
2: Same. Yeah. And so that for me, like being able to, to learn or not to learn, but like being able to read King doing fiction that is not horror and still seeing him, you know, be as, as good with his prose as he was in the horror books was I guess that's where I look at it as like people may not you know people think of King as just this like hyper prolific kind of like popular press kind of author to to like a a negative extent but I think it's it's there's a lot to say about the fact that he can you know cross genres very well I feel like a lot of authors maybe they just pigeonhole themselves but a lot of authors don't seem to really escape the the genres they feel most comfortable in fantasy authors are kind of just fantasy authors sci-fi authors are kind of just sci-fi authors and those two cross over a little bit and then like you know crime fiction authors tend to just write crime fiction books and like all that kind of stuff You like people don't tend to cross lines as much as you would think
0: yeah yeah i think that you're right that uh king occasionally does get kind of a bad rap for
2: for that um you can't be you can't be that prolific and not have people almost like people just kind of look down on you for that. I mean, there are not a lot of people who can write that much and have it still be worth reading. Exactly, like, and that's the that's, thing. It's like yeah. if you're just cranking out books like that, like they can't be good. That just doesn't make any sense. And King King manages to uh, to achieve an uncanny you know quality while maintaining that kind of prolific output.
0: Yeah, it, he has a a surprisingly high win rate, all things considered. Yeah for for someone who who writes as much as he does yeah and i think he's like obviously in like the moment-to-moment writing he's clearly like a very talented like compelling author right like it it i would say feel however you feel about a page turner like it whether that's up your alley whether it's not up your alley i think all kinds of like valid responses to that but there is a there's absolutely a talent that is required to write something like that and that he's able to do so, so consistently is that's, that's really very, I don't know. I, I imagine that would be extremely difficult to do. Yeah.
1: So I guess the question is now, and I feel like I know the answer from all of you. Would you recommend this book? Absolutely. Yeah, I would as well. I think it's, it's, it's fun. It's an enjoyable story. Like, I think Justin said it definitely has the feel of of a of a summer blockbuster. Was that what you said? Yeah, eh, more or less. I'm paraphrasing. Um, it's it's just it's just a good, entertaining story, and uh, I think most people would enjoy it. Yeah,
0: I agree. I yeah, I think like there's you know no strong reason not to read it. <laughs> it's not great praise, but. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I can't think of a lot of people who wouldn't like it,
2: or yeah, who I mean, wouldn't I think, at least like have a good time. I think a lot of the things that we've read, there have been glaring flaws. That even though we have, there have been things about the book that we we have really liked, and we would even say, like, I would recommend this book in a general sense. Mm-hmm. There are very specific conditions, right? And I would not recommend this book to X, Y, or Z people for X, Y, and Z reasons, and. And sort of similar stuff along those lines. Yeah. I think, that's, I think that's a good way
0: to put it. I think it's a much better way to put what I was trying to get at with, with what I said.
2: I think the word is caveats. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think we recommend Firestarter without any caveats. Yeah.
2: Whereas, is... you know, you go back to Sci-Fi Noir and Altered Carbon, and it's like, I would recommend this book, but. Yeah. Right. We, we don't have any buts for Firestarter. Yeah. And there was something like a little while ago where I, I thought Cleo put it really well. It's like, well,
0: you know, it's like I... Like it's it's not that it's a bad book, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend it because there are other things that are similar that are like immediately and apparently better. Yeah. Like I, I can't think of anything else like this. I mean, it, know what you're getting into as with as with everything, right? If you're sitting here, and it's like ah, I hate enjoyable books. Then you know, <laughs> yeah, don't read this. Yeah, like I, at this point, you you know you better than we know you, but yeah, yeah. So yeah, fun time. Yeah, cool.
2: And with that. Uh, Do we want to roll into our summary and the spoilery section of the podcast? Yeah. But first, we get to
0: introduce our newly named next topic, which was going to be syncopated worlds.
1: Yes. 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 Yes.
0: Syncopated worlds. (laughs) That first one's always the hardest. Uh, For this, we we are really excited about this. We are going to be reading Folding Beijing, which I believe is a novella. That just yes. won or was nominated for uh, one, one a, a few awards. I I'm really excited about this. This was this was the big one that kind of got us rolling on this topic. So I'm really excited. Uh, anyway, reading Folding Beijing, we are going to be watching Elysium, and we are going to be playing Bioshock Infinite, um, recently re released as part of the Bioshock collection. So that should be nice and easy for everyone to get. It's always one of the things we try and think a lot about when we're picking our games. So that'll be that'll be nice. Um. But yeah, so I think that'll be a lot of fun.
1: I'm excited. Folding Beijing has been on my list for like months since I heard about it. I literally kept a tab open on the internet of my phone with just the story and just been like, I have to read this at some point. I have to read this at some point. Haven't gotten around to it. Now we're going to be doing a topic on it, so I have to read it. And I'm very excited to be forced to read this thing that I already wanted to read.
2: (laughs) So for, for clarity's sake, the reason that I thought it had been so long ago was that the the it's been around for like four years. Mm-hmm. Um it was first like published on a like a like a message board for the author's university in in twenty twelve mm-hmm. and then was published in a magazine. Um and but it wasn't translated and released for for English audiences until um last year gotcha or uh late 2015 uh so it was up for a 2016 hugo which it won for best novelette so i think that'll be a lot of fun i'm Um, excited
0: yeah it'll be a good one but that is later and this is now and now is the time (laughs) for summary
1: away (laughs)
0: The novel opens with Andy McGee and his daughter Charlie walking down a New York street followed discreetly by a group of men in a green car. The men are part of a secret government organization called The Shop and have been pursuing Andy and Charlie for years, even going so far as to torture and kill Charlie's mother to discover their whereabouts. The McGees have generally been able to keep a step ahead of The Shop, but Andy isn't sure they'll be able to keep it up much longer. Andy and Charlie flag down a cab and Andy convinces the driver to take them to Albany using a psychic power he calls a push. During their drive north, Andy remembers signing up to take part in an experiment during college. The experiment, run secretly by shop agent Dr. Wanless, involves giving a group of volunteers an experimental drug called Lot 6. Andy had needed money and figured it would be an easy payday. While registering for the experiment, Andy met a young woman named Vicki, who he would later go on to marry. Andy and Charlie arrived at the Albany Airport later that night. Pushing on the cab driver has left Andy tired, so Charlie needs to get money for food. Charlie uses her own psychic power to empty a series of phone booths to change, but her powers get away from her and she accidentally sets a nearby man's shoes on fire. Charlie returns to Andy and the two run from the airport, managing to hitch a ride with the passing driver, just as the shop agents arrive at the airport and start investigating the incident. Andy remembers the day of the Lot 6 experiment. He and Vicky are given beds near one another, and are then each given a dose of the drug. Neither of them feel much of an effect right away, but across the room another subject has a bad reaction. Andy watches as the subject claws out his own eyes, then leaves a bloody handprint on the poster above his bed before being totally surrounded by staff. As Lot 6 kicks in, Andy and Vicky begin to communicate telepathically. Andy's memories of the experiment start to fade in and out. He recalls hearing the thoughts of some of the researchers and watching Vicky knock down dominoes with her mind. Andy wakes up in the experimentation room, the effects of Lot 6 having worn off, and is assured by the researchers that his memories of psychic powers are all just a dream brought on by the drug. However, Andy and Vicky compare what they can remember about the experiment, and Andy becomes convinced that his memories are real. Andy returns to the building that night and discovers his ability to push people into doing what he says. Inside, he finds the poster with the bloody handprint still hanging on the wall. The next day, he and Vicky return again to the building, but all of the evidence is gone. Charlie and Andy make it to a motel and decide to stay the night. After putting Charlie to bed, Andy remembers one of his friends tipping him off to the fact that the shop was very interested in the survivors of the Lot 6 experiment and that they would be even more interested in any of the children those survivors might have. The friend suggests that the shop was very much aware of Andy and Vicky, but didn't realize that the two had kept their powers from the experiment, let alone that they had passed them on to their daughter. Andy recalls the fires that Charlie would accidentally set as a baby, and the fear he and Vicky had felt, not just that Charlie would hurt herself or her parents, but that the shop would catch wind of her powers. While Andy and Charlie rest at the motel, the shop is still trying to track them down. Dr. Wongless, who still works with the shop, but whose standing has fallen since the Lot 6 experiment, is convinced that the shop has seriously underestimated Charlie's power. He convinces Captain James Cap Hollister, who is in charge of the operation, that the only thing stopping Charlie from losing control of her powers are the mental barriers that Andy and Vicky established while she was young to stop her accidentally setting fires. Juan was accurately hypothesizes that the McGees had to teach Charlie not to accidentally set fires the same way that most parents teach their children to use the toilet. However, he is worried that the stress from being pursued and the need to use her powers to avoid capture is chipping away at that conditioning. Furthermore, he suspects that the powers are likely to grow exponentially as she reaches puberty. This convinces Cap to send John Rainbird, a shop assassin, to hunt down and kill Andy. The next morning, Charlie and Andy hitch a ride with Irv, a local farmer who invites them over for lunch. Andy is still too weak to use his powers, so he comes up with a set of fake identities. At the farmer's house, Irv and his wife Norma realize that Andy's story doesn't add up. Norma takes Charlie out to feed the chickens while Irv confronts Andy. Andy explains the situation, but the farmer doesn't believe him until Charlie returns to confirm the story. While Irv and Norma try to come to terms with what they're hearing, the men from the shop begin to arrive. Charlie senses them in panics, but Andy encourages her to use her powers to fight them off. When the men arrive, Charlie sets several of them on fire, causing the rest to run away. Charlie feels awful about the damage she's done and blames herself for Irv being wounded by one of the agents in the fight, but Irv assures her that she did nothing wrong and helps the two to escape into the woods. Andy and Charlie drive out to a cabin that used to belong to Andy's grandparents. After Charlie goes to sleep, Andy reflects on another time when he had to fight off the shop. He, Charlie, and Vicky had become too comfortable and the shop had gotten wind of Charlie's powers. The group of agents track them down, torturing and killing Vicky, then capturing Charlie. Andy expended a huge amount of energy using his powers to get her back, and it took a very long time to recover. Andy and Charlie spend the winter at the cabin without being bothered. When spring arrives, Andy decides to tell the world his story. He isn't sure what will happen, but hopes that the national attention will keep him and Charlie safe. He sends a series of letters explaining the situation, but they are all intercepted by shop agents. Back at shop headquarters, Cap begins to consider what to do about the McGees. He starts to consider a plan to capture Charlie and Andy, using Andy to manipulate Charlie into going along with their research. Rainbird agrees to help with the plan, with the condition that he be able to work as a kind of mentor to Charlie after the capture, then kill her when the time is right. Rainbird and a group of shop agents capture Andy and Charlie as they leave the cabin, hoping to make their way back to New York City. The McGees are taken back to the shop as prisoners. At first, Charlie is given drugs to prevent her from starting fires to escape, but the agents realize shortly that she refuses to set any fires at all, whether to escape or to help with their experiments. Meanwhile, Andy is kept under a heavy dosage of medication to prevent him from using his own powers, and he gradually slips into a state of sad complacency. Months later, a blackout at the shop causes Andy to miss a dose of his medication. During this time, he regains just enough of his powers to push himself into dropping the addiction he's developed to the telepathy-blocking drugs. Meanwhile, Rainbird, who has been posing as Charlie's orderly, pretends to be afraid of the dark, scared by a semi fictional tour in Vietnam. Charlie lets her guard down and reaches out to him, sensing a kindred spirit. She tells him her entire story, but continues to refuse to light fires. Andy bides his time over the following few months, pretending to take the drugs while secretly disposing of them and hiding his power. Rainbird continues to build a relationship with Charlie, and eventually convinces her to participate in the shop's experiments under the pretense that, eventually, she might be able to see her father. Andy is forced to accelerate his plan when it becomes clear that the shop is ready to officially write him off as a lost cause. He pushes one of the scientists to extend the tests by a period of months, but Andy's control over his powers isn't as precise as it used to be, and he ends up causing a ricochet in the man, drawing an unconscious association into the foreground of his mind that eventually becomes an obsession. Within a few weeks, the scientist commits suicide, pushing up the time frame for ending the experiments even more. In the ensuing commotion, Andy meets Cap, and takes the opportunity to push him into telling Andy about Charlie. Charlie continues to take part in the shop's experiments, honing her powers and getting more and more frustrated that they won't let her see Andy. Finally, she gives the shop an ultimatum. No more fires until she is allowed to see her father. Meanwhile, Andy continues to work on Cap, and sets up an opportunity to escape with Charlie the following week. He pushes Cap to set up a flight to Chicago and instructs him to pass instructions to Charlie to meet him at the local stables before their escape. Unfortunately, this much pushing also causes a ricochet to begin in Cap, and he becomes consumed by a previously latent fear of snakes. Following Andy's directive, Cap gives Charlie a note that reveals Rainbird's identity and intentions and instructs her to meet her father at the stables on an assigned day to escape. Rainbird sees the security footage of Cap and Charlie's interaction and figures out that Andy must be behind it. On the day of the escape... Rainbird moves to intercept Charlie at the stables. He tries to convince Charlie to go with him, but Andy and Cap appear before he can. As the four stand off, the ricochet and Cap hits a breaking point, causing him to break down, startling everybody. Andy pushes Rainbird, making him jump from the stables' loft and breaking his leg. Rainbird shoots Andy in return. He tries to shoot Charlie, but she melts the bullet before it reaches her and sets Cap and Rainbird on fire. The flames quickly consume the building, trapping Rainbird and Kath inside. Charlie goes to Andy and finds him dying. He insists that she run away and burn the shop behind her. Charlie fights her way out of the compound, burning buildings and agents as she goes, and escapes into the woods. Days later, she arrives back at Irv and Norma's farm. Charlie stays with Irvin Norma for several weeks, but realizes the danger she's putting them in, and decides to leave. She wants to follow through with Andy's plan to tell the world about her powers, and the following day, she leaves for New York City to meet with the writer at Rolling Stone and we're back Woo. that was then this, this is, now? is now this is now all right that was now but now this but is now.
2: now this is now yeah right
1: okay right great summary thank you you're so welcome i've been working on it i figured um all right so so spoilers spoilers i hate john rainbird <laughs>
2: uh but like in the way that you should hate john rainbird or like you hate the character of john rainbird like like you hate how he's do you hate how he's written and you don't like the character as a as a character or do you not like the here's the thing i think
1: i yes i do i think that i hate him in the way that you're supposed to hate uh hate his character because
0: character whose only purpose is to kill a child <laughs>
1: Who, like, specifically wants to, like, befriend this child under false pretenses and trick her and is, like, gross and manipulative and also just really, really wants
0: to kill her. Like, do they ever explain why he's got such a hard-on for killing this kid?
1: Hard-on is a great way to describe (laughs) that because that is
2: absolutely the... The, he definitely the... eroticizes death a little bit. Yeah. Um, he, I mean, there's that whole scene with Wanless, right? When he kills Wanless, and and the the minimal amount of sort of depth that you get to Rainbird's character is he has this this obsession with what happens to people, like what the afterlife might be, um, what happens to people as and when they die, and and being able to understand that without dying himself, hmm. and so. The way that he kills Wanless, it's implied that that is the way that he kills as a you know a hitman for the shop kind of in general, where he will get up close and personal with his target and he will kill them while looking into their eyes to see to try and get a, an idea of what it is that they're seeing right, what it is that they're feeling in those moments. Um, like and the Joker. Yes, in
1: in the Dark Knight. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you yeah. know what I'm thinking. Of. You
2: can tell a lot about a man by the degree to which he reprises uh Joker scenes from the Dark Knight. Yes. <laughs> uh yeah, he's, you know, he he really wants to to understand what it is to die and pass on without having to do it himself like before he actually does it himself. And and he becomes he seems to become completely obsessed with this. He's Again, he is this imposing, sort of emotionally empty man who who basically seems to have one goal and it's this. And he doesn't care about anything else except his shoe collection. Do you do you think that Rainbird being Native American is is inherently a negative? See, I'm I'm always willing to sort of celebrate diversity and I, I love when people when like women or or minorities can be villainous without being villainous in an, in a way that is like inherently disparaging to them as a as a as women or minorities right you know what i mean like yeah. having more deep female villains is something that a lot of people clamor for because villains can be as compelling as our heroes and it's something that that we don't see right and on on that hand it's interesting to me but is the way that he is as a character like create that negativity of him being native american
1: here's the thing i can't off the top of my head name a whole lot of like well done native american characters i I, I, I don't think i can name
2: any off the top of my head clearly you haven't
0: read the twilight series by that's National true. Treasure Stephanie Meyer.
1: That's true. I mean, joking aside, yeah, he's really. a well done character. Yeah, and it, they actually cast a Native American actor to play him in the movies, which like props to all of that. Um but the thing is, is that it's not great when the only times you show up is a negative one. Um so I agree that Rainbird is a is a well done character, but it's probably not great that he's there as a villain now i am not by any means native american so if you are listening to this and you are and you really like rainbird like i certainly i have nothing to say about that but as speaking speaking as someone who is minority person in other ways uh it's not great when your only representation is a negative one i mean better than no representation at all it's and i mean
2: it's it's I guess when I look at it, the the redeeming aspect of it is that there there doesn't appear to be anything inherently stereotypical about Rainbird as a character. There that's isn't. True. There are no like negative or or you know non just there are no negative stereotypes yeah. promoted.
0: He doesn't have like a war cry or something. There's no scene in the middle where he does a rain dance or something. Right. There's there's like, no, there's no like yeah. you know
2: like a headdress, yep. right, or or any of of the kinds of things that would yeah. would be those like negative stereotypical presentations, and that's where the thing, the idea of of clamoring for more representation on both the good and evil side of stories like this, the evil needs to be not, you know, it, he's not evil because he's Native American. It's not some inherent quality of being Native American that makes him evil. He is just a person who happens to be Native American, who seemingly through the events of Vietnam. Again, we don't get a lot of his backstory, but what happened to him in Vietnam, it seems like, it seems like, like the character of John Rainbird that we know, um, could have been created through his experiences in Vietnam, right? Cause we don't get his entire backstory. We don't really like the most we know is that it, if I remember right, he was booted off of his reservation. At one point he lived on a reservation as, as, into his teens i think and and was booted off for one reason or another something happened it was like a very minor thing like offhand thing that he mentioned in one of his own sort of like thought processes yeah um but then he you know he ends up in the army and he goes to vietnam and, and the incident happens where he's him and a bunch of the guys in his unit are high and other people in his unit end up attacking them accidentally and that's how he gets disfigured and loses his eye and all this stuff and, it, and then he comes back to new york and he starts driving a mail truck around I, yeah yeah I to, idea. <laughs> to me this seems to be like the the catalyst yeah. like it could that could have been the catalyst for what made him kind of obsessed with death in this way um but but again i it it's unfortunate that the the most the arguably most villainous character of of the novel is a minority, right? He is Native American, but I I don't know if it's enough, right? That he is not villainous in a like stereotypically negative way, if that makes sense.
0: I say it's certainly a point in the novel's favor. I think it's hard to say whether something is or isn't enough. That's probably going to be a a very personal reaction to something i don't yeah. think. yeah be, o- ultimately yeah i don't think that anyone could make any sort of objective call one way or another on that i think that it's just gonna have to be
1: certainly not this group of mostly, mostly white, white people, people. <laughs> yeah so yeah no. take but, that for what it is wow side note i just remembered that there is some pretty solid native american representation in beyond two souls so
2: i i, I forgot about that so yeah i haven't played it so, so
1: well you know <laughs> Look forward to that because yeah,
2: I guess it'll be a whole conversation. Yeah. <laughs> this I, I think part of it is that we we kind of live in a day and age when if like if a book like Firestarter were to come out right now, there would be a lot said about representation in relation to this book, to the point where anyone would like you know, anyone who read sufficiently enough would be able to see what the consensus is. About, you know, Rainbird as positive or negative representation. Um, but this is a you know, a book that came out in like 1980, yeah, and and it doesn't have the you know, the kind of like prolific writing that there is about novels and stuff today, yeah. So,
0: I don't know, seems like consensus. We're not a group who's going to be able to make any kind of objective call, but it seemed pretty okay. Yeah, pretty much. However, as the character who just like super wants to kill a child,
1: pretty fucked up. Not just super wants to kill, but like specifically wants her to understand that he is betraying this like f- this like manipulative relationship he's built up with her in the moment of her death. Yeah. Like he talked a lot about wanting her to realize what was happening and like it's super gross. It's yeah. so gross.
0: <laughs> At least for me, I would say in a way that makes him like an interesting
2: creepy villain. That's the thing. If he just wanted to kill her because like he enjoyed killing, there yeah, wouldn't, like really, wouldn't be there wouldn't be anything interesting or compelling about that.
0: Yeah. But because he is exactly how you described him, yeah, he is super gross. Yeah. I mean,
1: yeah, like, you know, not I mean, yes, in a bad way, but not like in a narratively unenjoyable way. <laughs> right he, he, it's,
2: it's gross and bad, but it is not it, it's not the book that is bad. It yeah. is literally it makes a good the story. character that is yeah.
0: bad. It's exactly what it's supposed to be.: Yeah it was, yeah. I think he ends up being a really interesting no, I'll even go broader. I think by and large, the shop, uh, I think King does an interest, does a good job of making the shop interesting. Yeah, for, um, I, yeah, 100%. I think there are very few, like, really sympathetic figures. There's a few characters who kind of get, like, you know, a name for, you know, a couple of Paris. There's, like, O.J., right, who is, like, going around and just, like, wants to get out of New York. And he's kind of, like, the, like, why does this keep happening to me kind of guy. Um, you know, so you get a little bit of that, and that's, that's all okay. But I think the really interesting ones are going through, you know, like, Cap and Rainbird and Wandless and having them as... It, they they never feel like m- much more than just villains but at the same time they're interesting villains it's it, i feel like usually in this kind of a story it's so easy to just skew into the it's like it's just you know like the men in black kind of thing right where yeah. it's just
2: like it you know spooks and, and they're faceless and yeah
0: exactly they wear sunglasses and just come up and like do things and that's what makes them creepy right like that's that's part of that like man in black urban legend kind mm-hmm. of thing right like the government person who comes in and like cleans up the alien crash site and does whatever they they come they go you don't ever notice them see them remember them whatever um i think that it's kind of a it's a neat take to have to have them be the point of view characters for i want to say maybe a third of the book altogether i feel like it's not quite half but it's a bigger chunk than
1: uh maybe maybe like a quarter maybe a quarter yeah. Say, yeah, a
2: yeah quarter feels right yeah Feels like too much. Yeah, but a solid chunk of it, though. Yeah, Um, and I mean, I like I will say that Rainbird is pretty overly despicable, and I think a lot of the the base level guys who we get we we don't get enough insight into them to to feel anything but you know sort of like gross about them. Also, yeah, they're pretty Um, they're pretty shallow characters, which is fine. I don't think they're meant to be more than that. No. I think Cap comes the closest to being like almost relatable and and mildly sympathetic. Like he's he's very much just sort of this guy who, like he he can dehumanize the McGees, right? And and they're they're a case file, right? And he he plays with with human life in a way that's very like sort of like he has a kind of general disregard if somebody has lived past their usefulness or has become a problem. He's like, well, we'll just kill them and get rid of them. And that, but he, he at least is presented in a way as like being capable of like caring about people. Right. And like being more human than, than pretty much anybody else that, that we see on like the villainous side of this book. Yeah, I, and I think that dehumanization is a really good
0: point to make. Cause I think that one of the real successes of those shop chapters is the extent to which steam uh that the extent to which king manages to really make uh like secret agent government work with people with psychic powers into a desk job you know, <laughs> like uh, the degree that he does that i think is a lot of fun and i think that you know there are a lot of parts in the book that i think feel like they are intended to be kind of funny um and for me, a lot of those was just, like, dealing with Cap and just kind of the way that he would talk about this. And it was like, oh, yeah, you know, we would talk about all these other things going on. And each of those other things was, like, some kind of madcap psychic adventure, right? Yeah. And he's just like, oh, yeah, you know, that crazy Dr. Wanless and all of his crazy LSD experiments where he, like, drove people crazy and killed some people. And there was a guy who, like, ate himself and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, yeah, and he's like, yeah, just stay at the office. Yeah. But... I I think that that's, like, a a really nice touch just in general to to the whole thing.
1: I thought it was interesting how they, like, wanted to study Charlie and, like, ultimately get rid of her because she could, like, destroy the planet. But they were also kind of like, yeah, let's get some more psychic children and maybe they'll be less capable of destroying the planet and we'll actually be able to get some use out of them. Yeah. I thought that was a very, like, kind of interesting... I don't know if take is the right word, because I think we're talking about this as sort of like the first
0: it's iteration. It's Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because like, I don't know, it feels like a lot of the times the goal is to get that undeniable super weapon
2: kind of. But completely controllable. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's, it's a kind of logic that, that on the one hand makes sense, but also just feels kind of flawed. Right. I just, there's, there's a very similar thing in the first Mass Effect, which I've just been replaying, mm. um, where there's like a, a race of aliens that almost took over the like the universe, and they were. They were stopped, and then this group finds an egg that has one of them in it. And they're like, "Oh, well, the, the, you know, we can hatch this egg, and then we can clone them." And it turns out the egg's a queen, and it's like, "Oh, even better, we can just have this queen birth a bunch of these alien babies, and then we can separate them, and then we can control these babies, and then we can turn them into our own army."
0: And there's no way that could ever go wrong. Right?
2: Exactly. Right. And it's it's the same thing. They think if if Charlie is truly a mutant and could they could you know have her birth more psychic babies and then take them away from her and raise them themselves that they could create perfectly controlled weapons. And it's like, yeah, what could go wrong? I mean, what, just, what could go wrong in that scenario?
0: I mean, you know, all you need to do is implant them with a bunch of memories from your niece and give them a four year lifespan.
2: And yeah, you and then you're, then you're fine. Yeah. But yeah. So I, we've honestly, we've, we've talked all this time about this book and we have barely talked about Charlie and Andy. That's true. Um. I I think, I mean, I a part of it for me is that I think all of the main ensemble cast of this book, like this book is arguably about Charlie and Andy, 100%, but the, the Rainbird and Cap and the small cast of characters around them are equally as compelling to me as Andy and Charlie are, and I think that's another point to King is that he does a very good job of creating Characters on both sides of this conflict that are sort of equally compelling and interesting and, and worthy of discussion, right? We, we've we talked all this time about the bad guys. And, I mean, they are compelling in a lot of ways. I I would even say
0: I think that some of the bad guys are more interesting to me than Andy and Charlie. Like, frankly, I didn't think of Andy and Charlie as, like, super interesting characters. Um, I didn't think they were bad characters or not interesting, but... Although I guess I would say in general, I I was by and large more pulled along by by the story overall than like Any a lot like of the, individual character. Yeah, than the characters specifically. So maybe maybe that's that's just kind of my my read on the whole thing, um, which is not at all to say that they again was not at all to say that they are not interesting. Um, but yeah, no, I I completely agree. I thought that I thought I think I was more interested in Cap than um, Andy or Charlie. As a character. Not necessarily in his story more so than their story. But um, I was really interested in Andy during the flashbacks. I will say that. I thought that those flashbacks to the Lot 6 experiments and to when he and Vicky were together, uh, I thought I thought all of those were, were very interesting. Those were things that really kind of had my attention much more than... The, like, current events. Yeah. May, and maybe that was because the current events seemed it felt like the current events were the ones that seemed a little bit more like the things that so many other people have pulled from so i felt like i knew where those were going sure. overall so maybe that's why um which again is not firestarter's fault but at least at least in my reading
2: of it today i mean to me if i like pulling out my favorite you know moments in the book it's there's really three and it's the the two instances of of charlie like letting loose with her powers mm-hmm. and the lot 6 flashback
1: yeah i would like those 100% are my top 3
2: that. you know sequences in the story and so i think it says a lot that we have these like moments that are are what the thi- like ultimately what this revolves around which is charlie and her powers and so obviously those are going to be created to be incredibly engaging and and you know fun from an action standpoint and like interesting but then for the, the flashback of the lot six story, right. That is the only, the only thing that is not that to me, that is equally as, as like great as a sequence. And so I think that says a lot about how, how much Andy's backstory was as interesting as what we were seeing, if not more. So, mm. um, the whole lot set like just the entire lot six thing was great. Like everything about that, the, the guy, you know, they, they, they get drugged up and there is no control. It's all 12 of them being drugged up. Mm -hmm. And then you've got, you've got, you know, they, the description of this, like few, almost fugue state that they're in. And the sort of like the bits and pieces, storytelling of like what Andy's seeing and, and how these things are happening. And you got the guy who claws his eye out. Right. And, and, That like evocative moment where his hand, his bloody hand reaches up through this crowd of people toward, you know, just straight up and Andy can see it and then slaps this poster, Mm -hmm. leaving a a streak of blood that he describes as a comma, which is like very simple, but really evocative. Mm -hmm. And then for that to be the the, like linchpin of how Andy confirms that these things were real, right? um yeah it was just all it was all so good i would say uh another another just
0: in general scene that i liked a lot was towards it really very the very beginning where uh charlie and andy are escaping new york and they're leaving in the in the cab and he like gives the guy like the like the one dollar bill that he says is like a thousand like a lot of money or something um but just when you're getting those, like, little moments and, like, Charlie's going around and, like, shaking down the phones mm-hmm. for quarters, yeah. that almost just, like, that almost, like, Paper Moon kind of sequence where it's got, like the, like, the man and the kid just sort of making their way across the country, shaking down stuff. I mean, they're not, like, selling Bibles, right? But they're still, like, doing kind of small cons, building up, like, this little mining and sort of that, that little look at how – what life was like for them on the run. Um yeah. I, I liked that a lot, and a lot of the moments where they like don't really realize how how close they are to to being caught. That was another thing I liked a lot, where you have a lot of people, um, especially in the middle, um, right before you get to the Manders farm, uh, where people are just missing one another or like little strokes of luck. Mm-hmm. I, I think King does a really good job of doing. I think the 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 like the prose equivalent of in a movie where you would like see a car go by and you know that the green like you like the camera like goes left following the the shop agents and then like a green van goes by and then the camera like tracks the van and you see that like Andy and Charlie are in it like something some little thing like that where you see like people just missing one another Um, I think the king does a really good job with like making those little moments and those little kind of dramatic irony yeah I believe yeah, and those little bits of, like, serendipity for for Charlie and Andy of kind of just getting away from this whole thing. And it, it almost seems like those are fun for the same reason as the whole, like, psychic adventure into desk job. Because it's just like, oh, yeah, they got away because they got a flat. Like, those really weird, goofy, little, normal things in a story that is otherwise about a little girl who's about to set everyone on fire.
1: I liked the descriptions of, like, Charlie's increasing power after she started... Mm. setting fires for the shop
2: i oh, mean the test sequences were so good yeah when, when the 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 wall yeah right the concrete wall just exploding bricks and and uh mortar melting down the side of the wall like molasses uh oh, yeah it was so good
1: i wonder like at what i mean i guess you know the the book does explore this to a degree but you got to feel like you got to feel like, you know, these experiments are happening and somebody had to have said, like, we've, we can't control this anymore. Like, we're still alive because she's being cooperative, but like, that's about it.
2: Yeah. over, And that's the thing. It's the one thing to me is that, like, they're so caught up in, like, testing this and testing our limits and all that, that the the thing that Rainbird fucking used as a motivator was like, well, listen, if you want to learn how to control it, you got to practice. Like, she's getting better and stronger and, like, so not only is her power growing, but she's more capable of controlling it. And they're so wrapped up in testing her limits that they don't see that they're just empowering her to be even more capable of ruining their, them, their, the shop, just everything.
0: Yeah. I mean, she's got, there's like, it's It's kind of like a throwaway line as she's just sort of like talking about like all the stuff that she kind of like feels like she can do. But when she talks about like feeling like she could almost like change the sun.
2: Yeah. Oh, like, yeah, toward the
0: end. Yeah, like not necessarily yet, but that like someday, and someday maybe not that far off. But yeah, like those little things where as she starts realizing it, it's just like, okay.
2: Yeah, it's like, it's this idea that, that her like actual psychic power and like her control of heat is is basically limitless and that given enough time and and you know focus she could like do things on a on a planetary scale right i mean wanless says in the beginning like if if you let this like if this girls powers just keep growing like she could crack the planet in half and once we get to the end of the book i'm like that's not that far-fetched i guess yeah yeah i mean I don't think she could do it at the end of the book, but that... No, but that, the, which, the idea yeah. that she could
0: get there. Yeah, yeah. Which I know is what you're saying, but... Yeah. yeah.
1: I think I like that the actual, like, limitation of Charlie as a... super-powered being. I won't say villain or hero there, but as a super-powered mm-hmm. being, her limitation is that, like, she herself is not, like, resistant to fire.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, if like... she just doesn't control it right or like lets it turn back on herself she'll just she'll just burn up and die yeah i would like to point out there's another scary hand scene
0: <laughs> it is it is not just during the lot six experiment there's another scary hand do uh, tell. if i remember right it is during the flashback to when vicky uh vicky dies mm. um and andy's like looking around for like a light switch there's another there's another scary hand moment in there I don't remember the exact the exact wording, but throwing that out there.
1: We gotta have a scary hand tracker.
0: Stephen King knows what's up.
2: That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, I think one of the things to me that's that's really interesting is that they she's like hyper powerful, right, Charlie? But King doesn't just load her up with psionic abilities. Well like, yet. Right. I mean he kind of suggests that there would be ones other than. Right. And that's, you know, they talk about it at the shop too. Like she has low level X, Y, and Z, but this is her primary thing. Right. Yeah. And it does seem like she might always, like she could theoretically always be capable of, of low level, you know, telekinesis and telepathy and maybe the mental domination, like all of that kind of stuff, but that none of it could grow past whatever base level she had and like this this pyrokinesis is just like toweringly powerful
1: also i like how i like the idea that we we got this level of just psychic ability powerful in a second generation yeah child yeah of of this and a second generation of
2: like two like very weakly, psionically powerful people, by all accounts, I who mean, weren't even
1: born with them. They just right, got they injected just with them. a drug one day and, and it suddenly it apparently just... mutated. Yeah, their
2: something. Their yeah, chromosomes. They they always talk about it at a chromosomal level in the book. That like it it mutated their chromosomes and they were able to pass this on to uh to Charlie. Yeah, I
0: mean, yeah, that's that's a, it. Would have
2: to right? Yeah, but and I mean, I I also really like that um that it it makes sense to me that Charlie is born with her power and therefore while it, there are negative aspects of it, it does not harm her. Right. Necessarily. Like explicitly, it does yeah. not like using it does not have an adverse effect on her directly. Does she get tired?
0: It's yeah. Cause I, I, I don't remember. Certainly not in the way that, that Andy does.
2: I mean, she does she, like, she fainted after the, the one at the farm. Yeah.
0: I don't, I don't know if she gets
1: tired so much as like, the longer it goes on the harder time she has
2: controlling it yeah right. not burning herself up yeah and i mean I, I it makes sense to me that it would be like ex- expending physical energy yeah but it is not that's not outwardly you know harmful oh yeah
1: there was a point in the book where they were like she generated this much energy and burned like 50 calories like that yeah. was like it
2: yeah that was yeah. the thing it's like she burned what would have been a normal like if she had done like 20 sit ups while she was generating like 30,000 degrees of heat yeah. at a pointed location but but the idea that she's born with it and it doesn't really have this like any kind of inherent negative effect on her whereas like Andy gets fucked up yeah when he tries to use his power it's like it's it's literally killing his brain cells it's rupturing parts of his brain like it is killing him yeah and it makes sense that that makes a weird kind of sense to me right because they use a lot six and he's given this ability and his body just has to kind of try to adapt to that. But Charlie is born with this mutation and, and is like born with the propensity to handle what it means to have these like psionic abilities, which is like really cool.
1: She's like a psychic organ <laughs> that can handle it.
2: Basically, yeah. That's that's what the pancreas is actually for. Yeah. No,
1: no, no. It's the pituitary gland.
2: <laughs> well, yes.
1: It's definitely in the brain because that's where all of Andy's everything goes wrong.
2: One thing
0: that I, I think is probably largely um, a a product of when the book was written uh, is the fact that they, they determine that she's able to generate some huge number of, of joules worth of energy. Um, while expending fifty calories. And at no point does someone say, Holy shit, we can totally set up a very safe environment for her to provide free, clean energy for everyone forever. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right?
2: It We're just gonna put her in a in a padded cell where she is or all of her comforts are taken care of and she is well fed and just feeds her energy into a single point in the room that powers the entire country.
0: I mean, you don't even need to be like that evil about it. Right? Sure. Like, I feel like that's the big thing, right? That at no point does anyone say like, yeah, no, we could just be like, Hey, look, Charlie, you have a wonderful gift. And using this, we could like power engines and we could provide clean energy to the world. We could solve so many of the world's problems by if we could, you know, eliminate our like dependence on fossil fuel, all this, all these other things. And you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. We just need you to, like, boil water for us. You know? And, like, that, there's there's this wonderful, peaceful, happy solution yeah. that like, is just never touched upon. Well, like, I mean, you got the, you know, the shady dad, government organization. Your needs will be taken but, care of. Like, just... Yeah. We won't, like, keep you in a cell. We don't want to control you or anything like that. We're keep Rainbird like, away from you. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to, like, try and kill you. We're going to teach you to do this. And we're just... The way that we're going to avoid you wanting to kill us is by not making you want to kill us by being like... I mean, given we killed your mom, but, you know, bygones, be bygones. (laughs) Sure. But, you know, like, things like that, right? But even then, though, even say before that, when they discovered, like, what she could do, at no point was anyone just like,
2: what if we were just not awful about this? Yeah, there's no no one person who's like, the applications of this are are crazy you know we could do this we could do that no and everybody's yeah. like so how do we make her a weapon how do we make more weapons yeah. or how do we eliminate this threat yeah which you know is fair and i get that that's the point i think that that's the, the point there that of course that King but like, is trying to make and th- there, these, there could have been one person yeah. one, just one voice who was like but what if what if we did this instead and, and maybe i just could shout it down or whatever you
0: know? yeah and i will also say i i wouldn't be surprised if some of it was you know, by and large people thought a very different amount and in very different ways about the propensity for creating clean energy in 1980 sure. than we do in 2016. Yeah. So absolutely. it is not a fair standard to hold anything to. We we're what we were like coming relatively recently off the gas crisis in the seventies. And anyway, so point being like, Oh, that's fine. I can't hold it against the book, but it is, <laughs> you know, I think it's impossible to, but I'm, it is the kind of thing that I think is very funny and that I I wonder if that might have been a scene today or if the idea was just like, nope, no one says, like, there's some peaceful solution because the whole point is that this entire organization is just, like, military-minded and only cares about, like, burning up Russians.
1: Yeah. Have you seen the comic where it's, like, you know, Superman arrives in the scene and is like, I'm here to help the world. And someone's like, yeah, oh, great. Okay, turn this crank forever. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, that's it. <laughs>
0: I mean, that's in uh, that's in Dark Knight Returns, right? Where, I don't remember if it's Dark Knight Returns or Dark Knight, like, Strikes Again, the awful sequel. But, um, like, they've got Flash just, like, running on, like, a hamster wheel. And, like, I mean, Superman becomes the world's, like, nuclear deterrent. He's, just, like, flying around, like, throwing nukes into space. Yeah. But Flash is just, like, running on a giant hamster wheel, like, powering the country and all this stuff. I mean, and to be fair, a important part of that comic is that that is terrible, right? Like, you've got, but again, that's, that has to do that's a rabbit hole that's you know separate to go down. Yeah. But still, it seems like the kind of thing where I don't know. It feels like today at least someone would have brought it up. Yeah. That'd be an interesting story where where the the stakes are aren't just like something where the the trade-off is you could either do a good thing but it's harmful to you or Yeah. Yeah. I know stories like that exist, but it it's a take that I wonder I wonder if Stephen King were writing this today. I wonder uh, what the the impetus of the
2: the shady organization would be? Right. I don't know. It might still be burning oppressions at this point. It might be. Yeah, we're kind of swinging <laughs> back around. Jesus. But,
0: but yeah, I'm always really curious about that. When there are things like that in a story that feel very much like of their time and place, right? It was like, okay, well, you know, the core of this story would still be interesting today. It's it's not as though like you couldn't write a story about
2: a girl with like superpowers like that like I wonder what the context would be do do we want to talk explicitly about the ending how it wraps up what we think of that yeah sure let's go for it to skip all the way to the very very end I love so much that the publication she goes to is Rolling Stone
0: I'm really glad that they actually like name it yeah I, I was. <laughs> they, don't, they was... don't
2: make up some other they don't make up some fake one and they don't just like allude to it without being direct it's like now she goes to Rolling Stone yeah
0: that feels like the funniest moment in the book to me. Yeah. Not because I like, I like Rolling Stone, but it was just such a, like, oh, what would this perfect media outlet be? And there's this sense that, oh, no, this would just be, like, the greatest thing ever. And then it's, it just feels at the end, like, Stephen was like, yep, it does exist. Everyone go buy a Rolling Stones.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the other moments about the ending that I like was when. Charlie finally sees Andy for the first time after they've been imprisoned. Mm-hmm. And she has the like intrusive thought of like, wow, daddy got fat. Yeah, <laughs> And she's like, but immediately push that thought over her head. And, no, the, no, and the story <laughs> keeps going. And it's just like, it's cause that's the thing. That's like, that's really real. Like that is exactly like, regardless of how dire the circumstances, yeah. like that thought would have happened. <laughs> that's just, it's, it's, it's true. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's a stark physical change in someone right. you haven't seen for a while, but you feel like, you know, pretty
2: well. And so I, I, that was really funny to me. Yeah. Uh, there was, there was some definitely some like A plus humor in this, in this story. I would also say, cause I also listened to the audiobook, uh, the narrator
0: doing Cap's voice when Cap's like fear of snakes is really ramping up gets really good. Yeah, I, nice. I like, I think that the, the writing is good for
2: that. Don't get me wrong. But if anyone is listening to the audiobook, that's that's a that's a treasure. <laughs> well that is something I meant to ask earlier how was the audiobook? You guys tend to do them pretty pretty much most of the time when it comes to our books. How was how was this one in general? How does it compared to other other audiobooks we've done for the podcast?
1: I liked it. I was I was generally a fan. I think that a lot like most of the voices were like on point.
2: Was it a cast?
1: No. no it was just one guy. It weirdly switched. It sounded like it switched to a completely different person. Weirdly, somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I wasn't sure. But I don't know if it did or if they just like needed to re-record a section. Yeah, so it just mm-hmm. or something. Different. I don't know. But that. I mean, that's not even that's not even really a negative. It's just
0: like a quirk. That's yeah, a thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really weird. I, I used to listen to a lot of audiobooks just in general. Now I listen to audiobooks almost exclusively for our podcast books, but. I also now consume our podcast books almost exclusively as audiobooks. Um, I just kind of like a weird trend I found myself falling into, but right. yeah, I, I agree. I thought it was I thought it was good. It was fun. Narrator did a good job. Uh, I listened to the entire thing at one and a half speed. Again, not something I ever I ever do when I'm listening to audiobooks. Not for not for this. Right. But um, held up at that, so that's always good.
1: Oh, I I always listen to things at one time speed. I don't know. I just. I guess I, I have enough things that I can do to like occupy myself while listening that it never feels like I have to like get through things.
0: I, I will be the first to say I started this when I thought we were recording last week. Um so ah. I thought I had much less time to get through the Oh whole yeah, thing.
1: that's right. There was that point where you were like, When are we recording? I was like, Oh, you know, the eleventh. Wait, what day is it? Not yeah. the eleventh. This isn't this is not that you know, day. The, the fourteenth. <laughs> yeah.
2: But yeah, so the seventh.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, when point being I thought we were recording last week, so I thought I had Way less time to to get through it than I originally allocated. Anyway, point being, um, but yeah, no, I thought it was good. Uh, Like I said, I I do especially, I think he just in general does a really good job with with Cap's voice. I think he does a good job with everyone's voice, but I think Cap especially. Um, But God, it gets really good when he starts talking (laughs) about the snakes. It's just like, oh, yep, better close that drawer. They
2: hide in there it's like oh who like oh the snakes
0: yeah
1: it was it was it was good it was good i might
2: have to i might have to just like check out some of those parts absolutely yeah it's worth Um, picking out those chapters it's they're good speaking
1: of the the um what did what did andy call it the ricochet yeah that was a really interesting yeah that was what i was gonna
2: bring up i was like i i really like how they did the echo and the ricochet um, it was, you know, mentioned earlier in the book kind of ominously, but you don't really get an idea of what it is, but you can, you can guess. Mm. And then to see it manifest, uh, and, and pinch it first. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. and. Oh, geez. That was gruesome. Yeah. Uh, and then, but I like how you just get flashes. Like it'll just cut to pinch it, you know, back at home and, and under the effects of this ricochet. And then back to the main story, and then and then back, right? And then to see it happening like much more slowly to Cap, um, I just I, I thought it was a really cool idea of being like this like side effect of the mental domination, and and I thought it, it worked really well. Yeah. Um, to get back to the the ending, like how how do you guys feel about how it concluded? Like you know, like Rainbird's death, the the shop's destruction, Andy's death. Um,
1: I think it all wrapped up very neatly, but I think that's kind of what I wanted out of it. Like, I didn't want, I didn't necessarily want this story to end with, like, Charlie In dying like or getting or... recaptured. Yeah, I I kind of just wanted it to all tie up nicely and for, like, something good to happen to Charlie at the end of it. I feel like it wrapped up how I wanted it to, and I didn't, I wasn't looking for something, like, super complex or edgy or
2: Yeah, so- sometimes, you know, a book like this will happen and you'll be like, oh, that ending was too neat. Yeah. Right. And this was a very neat ending, but it was it felt like the right ending. Yeah. I'd agree with that.
1: I mean, the ending was also like, girl uses superpowers to literally obliterate a government compound, like, you know. And all of her problems are solved. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, man, I wish I could solve all my problems by arson.
2: <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I, that's really the message
1: that's here, the takeaway.
2: <laughs> I will say, I'm I'm glad that she was just sort of that she she got the. Probable satisfaction, it's never really touched on, of, of being able to just, like, just blow away Rainbird. Just, like, pour all of that heat out at him and just basically melt him.
1: I, don't, I think melt is too soft of a word. Like.
2: I, I mean, she basically disintegrates him. Yeah, like. But it's mostly, it starts with a his, flash his, point of a his human skin, being. right? Just starts, like, starts kind of slawing off, right? <laughs> it's like his skin melts and then he's disintegrated yeah is basically what ends up happening
0: i imagine it a lot like the end of raiders yeah yeah,
2: uh, I could see that. yeah. That's, that's more or less how i saw it see i saw it starting like that but then yeah. instead of continuing to melt he just like starts turning to ash
0: i that's probably closer to what was described in the book but once i start watching that movie in my brain sure uh <laughs> i mean
2: how do you stop i don't stop until i'm through last crusade <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah so i i on the whole I thought the ending was really satisfying. I thought that whole sequence was also just really well written jumping to different characters to to yeah. show every all the like panic of all of the shop people. Yeah, yeah,
1: like um like uh like OJ OJ who's just the first sign of trouble is like I'm gone. Bye. No, yeah. No, but yeah,
2: the, the one of the uh, other really f- the the ending had a lot of funny moments. Yeah, it really. And did. one of the one of the good ones was the the critical alarm starts sounding right and like he's up at some break room playing a game with with a couple other guys and he like has his hand on his gun and goes to get up and he's like and then it's the announcer he's like it's the girl i it's it's she's she's loose and he's like uh-uh nope i am not doing that and just puts his gun back in its holster and sits down while the other guys like run off yeah and then like yeah. you know in the next five minutes he's like oh no fuck i'm getting out of here and he just takes off yeah
1: i also like um very specifically that charlie was turning her powers away from harming people who didn't really deserve it like she was destroying everything but like i think she very specifically like kept her the 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 heat away from like the secretaries for example who were who were all like sort of fleeing together and
0: yeah yeah did she do something to that one person who like was awful to her as she was escaping or did she let her go
2: She didn't do anything to her. She thought about burning her up and then decided not to. Yeah, I kind of – I was very 50-50 on that in terms of what I wanted out of it because, like, there would have been a certain amount of satisfaction to Charlie deciding to just burn her up. But it also would have, like, irrevocably changed – not Charlie as a character. Oh, I think it would have. Well, the thing is I mean Charlie as a person. Like, it wouldn't change how I think of Charlie as a character, but it would change her. Oh, for me, like absolutely, gotcha. For me, it would
0: change how I think of Charlie as a character, but it largely, though, in that uh, because for me, the big thing that does feel open ended about the ending, because I agree that it is by and large very neat and very easy in in a lot of ways, Um, but I also agree that that's actually kind of what I wanted out of this. It's it's not the most like broader, artful ending, I think, but um, I I think that you're I completely agree that that's that wouldn't fit the book. It would've yeah. been weird. It would have been a weird thing to throw at the end. It would have felt I don't know wrong. But um the big thing that is open to me is so does Charlie like spend her life on the run now? Does Charlie like just keep buying like cheap houses that she just burns down every so often until she hopefully gets old enough to get her powers under control? When like if she makes it to old age, does that like do her powers diminish? Do they keep growing? Does it hit a point where she's like older and not super in control of like herself and her facilities and she's just like burning shit down
2: forever? But <laughs> she, she crosses to like 80 and senility really starts to sink in and it's just. I it, mean, it, they compare a lot of it to yeah.
0: bathroom training, right? Which <laughs> was, I thought was a really interesting thing to throw in there. Um, yeah. I, yet another one of those moments where uh, Stephen King being a parent. I feel like becomes apparent, Um, ah, but um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, for those of you not in the room, Justin's uh, pop filter did not think that joke was very funny. (laughs) Um, But so it, for me though, the big thing that, so I feel like all of those are kind of like the big longer term questions, but then the shorter term one that I do think was, was answered. And I think by the, uh, that decision not to burn up the secretary was that you see a lot of flashes of her really starting to like her powers? Um, yeah. Not even flashes
2: like just some like explicit like moments where she's like, "Oh shit!" Well, because even as early as the Manders Farm, right? There's this. She's like, "I liked it. Like I took yeah. pleasure in using that yeah. power, and that scares me." Yeah, right? yeah. and she. At, the more she learns to control it, the more she like can enjoy it mm-hmm. while not being as as scared of it because she knows that she can like rein it in up to a certain point right and um, i think the the question for me that comes up is just like after this does she
0: lay low does she continue this or like does she just like become magneto right like does she go <laughs> God, out? i
1: hope the magneto option
0: <laughs> <laughs> but like for me the magneto option that the big thing there that at least like makes me think at the very least she'll be like the good parts of magneto It is that decision not to burn up the lady, right? Right. Like, or even just like, does she go on some kind of like crazy murder adventure where she goes and hunts down? Because there are, there have got to be other agencies like the shop or other branches of the shop. And I mean, the shop itself still exists, right? She just burned down one of their facilities, right? So the question is, I think that she might still go and do that, but do it, is she doing that potentially to help people or is she doing that to, you know? burn some
2: people right to take it like a twisted joy out of it
0: right and i think that that one moment for me like that's the big thing is i i think that at least for me that sense of does she burn up the secretary changes her as a character because i think any character in their childhood is still developing as a character as much as they are developing as a person yeah because for me a big defining trait of charlie as a character is is she the kind of person who's going to slip into that um No, you know, I like this and fuck those guys Um, that Andy kind of tries to push her towards at the end there where it's just like, and I like his advice in that situation of like, this is not a time to be nice. Burn it to the ground. Yeah. And then she needs to be the one to figure out when to rein that in, when to stop. Yeah. Um, And for me that that's why I I like that moment a lot. Yeah. as much as though I'm not going to lie, and I think it's part of what makes Charlie's Choice interesting, and again, at a time where Stephen King, I think, shows himself as a really good writer,
2: is in my brain, all I could think of was just, like, Burner. Exactly. And that's what I mean. Yeah. I was very 50 it because, like, in that moment, I'm like, do it. Just do it. Yeah. Just, you should just do it. You really – right now, just do it. Do, just do it. Yeah.
0: And then I think Charlie makes the right choice, and I think the fact that King puts the reader in a situation where – I don't think it's at all that hard to fall into that, like, yeah, do it. Light her up. And Charlie knows better. Yeah. I, I think that that makes that, like, a, a really good moment for me.
1: I want to say that if Charlie ever became a supervillain, she could legitimately, like, threaten the world with burning up the ocean. Like, yeah. that's a legitimate threat that she could deliver on as a supervillain, and oh I think God. that's hilarious.
2: Yeah. I, you know, or something with the
1: sun. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: The the shining. Hey, you guys like me. having a sun, right? <laughs> <laughs> like there's generically something with the sun. Because <laughs> even she's like, I could do something with the sun. Yeah. Be, be a shame if the sun were to. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice sun you got there. Yeah. It'd be a
1: shame <laughs> if something were to happen to it.
0: Something involving pulling parts of it down into burning up your oceans.
2: <laughs> um... Anyway, I'm sorry go ahead so you were ta- you you were talking about the shining <laughs> the shining got the 20 years later sequel treatment mm-hmm. right where we were able to see what how danny had grown up and to sort of go on the second adventure with danny mm-hmm. um i i know i'm the only one of us who's read it i really liked it it's very different for, like the sequel to the shining has much more thematically and like plot-wise in common with firestarter than it does with the shining mm it's much more of like a a sort of sci-fi thriller page-turner kind of thing without any of the horror or or uh like emotional elements of the shining mm-hmm. um and i do think it's a better book for it but um i i do think firestarter would be an an interesting one to like Charlie is now 45 Mm -hmm. and we're just going to pick up the story right here and we'll fill in some of the, some of the backstory and you'll get to see a little bit more of, of Charlie's life. I think that would have been an interest. That's an interesting one that, that King could still do. Frankly, I'm more interested in
0: that story than I am in Dr. Sleep's story.
2: Yes. Which, and understandably.
1: I was looking up, uh. I was looking at the Wikipedia page to, like, refresh myself on the summary, because I finished this, like, a week and a half, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there was some... Int- I was looking at uh, adaptations, and...
2: So they they made a movie in 84 with Drew Barrymore. Sure, yeah. And then they made a sequel to that movie. Oh. Interesting. I okay. Is
0: Rainbird, by any chance, like, super racist in the movie? All the things that we were like praising him. Raybird's like, actually a white guy
2: in the movie. Interesting. Movies, so,
1: interesting. Um, <laughs> okay, so the last the last item under the film, TV, or theatrical adaptations was it was revealed in 2014 that a TV series titled The Shop is in development by TNT. Set 20 years after the events of the novel, it would feature Charlie as part of a team of people with powers working to shut down the shop, which is continuing its experiments for good.
2: Yeah, I, I, I did. I, I did remember reading about this. I didn't read the full description of what the show was going to be, but when I was looking at stuff about the movie and all that stuff after I finished the book last night, um, that that came up, and it's it is still actively in development right now.
1: That's exciting to me. I'm Legitimately, like, I'm actually, like that like, yeah, sounds pretty cool. They want to do this
2: like limited TV series kind of thing about like f- that. Like I'm I'm on board.
1: Grown yeah. up Charlie kicking ass. Like I yeah yes right yeah. yes I'm into it. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and (laughs) she should still be played by Drew Barrymore, maybe? Nah. Drew Barrymore could... She could pull it off, but so could so many great actresses. Before we get into the relative
0: merits of Drew Barrymore versus everyone else. (laughs) Okay, well, this is an argument
1: that I should not be involved in
0: because a lot of movies that I really love (laughs) star Drew Barrymore. I'm not going to lie. I don't have strong feelings one way or the other. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of don't either.
1: Ever After is, like, the best
0: I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying I don't have strong feelings about your Barrymore. All
1: right. She seems.
0: Anyway, this is exactly what I wanted to avoid. (laughs) Yeah, let's not do this. Yeah, I think I think with that, it's about time to wrap things up here. Yep. Because now is time for then, and then was then was going to be now soon enough.
1: Okay. (laughs) Look out for that TV series that might be coming out of TNT sometime. That sounds super interesting, and I'm excited. Yeah, it could be fun. Called the Shop, and uh, look out for our next
0: episode. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Our next episode is going to be about Stranger Things. You've got a little bit of time left to finish watching that first season. If if you have not yet, we're doing the entire thing. After that, we are going to be getting into Beyond Two Souls, or Oh Ellen Page, the game. That's right. I, we're working really hard to get that title officially changed. Sorry,
1: I was thinking about what Cleo might be doing for next episode. <laughs> <laughs> I got distracted.
0: Uh, and after that, our topic episode. We're going to talk more about this. We're going to talk about those other things. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently Native American representation because they're yes. Beyond Two Souls yeah. as well.
1: Yeah. Navajos, not Cherokee this time.
0: Gotcha. Just throwing it out there. Good to know. I have. No, I don't know. I know nothing about Beyond Two Souls. I haven't even seen it. Right. Um, all right. Cool. See you then. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Read Watch Play. If you want to help us out, the best thing you can do is tell your friends about the show. You can also rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to find us on social media, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RWP Podcast. Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash RWP Podcast. Check out our Tumblr at rwppodcast.tumblr.com and look for our game streams on (laughs) twitch.tv slash RWP Podcast.
2: pinwheel of okay we have a very tiny waveform something is
1: you're a tiny waveform and i responded with right. a completely wrong <laughs> statement i don't know what's confusing about this <laughs>